Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Welcome to our seventh session in the Gospel of John. In today's lesson, we cover two chapters in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, talking about Christ being the Good Shepherd, one of the most beloved passages probably in John. And then we look at John chapter 11, where Christ raises Lazarus from the dead, and we see the escalating conflict he has with the Pharisees. So join us as we begin today's study. Anyways, we're here in uh, John chapter 10, so that's where we'll start tonight. Father, thank you for this night, for being here with us, open our hearts. Thank you for having having this word before us, and thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth, and you do that. We admit that we can't understand it on our own, so we pray that you give us understanding. Thank you for this time that we have to share now in Christ's name. Amen. Um, in John chapter 10, working our way slowly through the book here, and... Um, John chapter 9, of course, is, is sort of sets up chapter 10. This all occurs during the Feast of Dedication. And on John chapter 9, of course, Christ heals the blind man who was born blind. And, um, you know, according to the rabbinical thinking of the day, anyone who was born blind deserved it because of absolute, obviously there was some sin that either they did or their parents did. Um, it was taught. In fact, the rabbis were a pretty heartless crew. Um, you know, they had this very, very uh, rigid view that God's blessing was directly proportional to your godliness. Therefore, those, of, those people who had any kind of physical ailment or disease or anything, you know, bad happened to them, obviously they were under God's judgment and God's cursing. And uh, their attitude was they're not going to going to try to overrule what God is doing in a person's life. So they were very heartless sort of people, um, very, very self-centered, very selfish. And, uh, of course, they saw this man as a, as some horrible sinner, um, which gives you an idea of their, their sort of disdain for him. You know, where he says, well, you were born in sin. You're going to teach us? You're going to teach us something? Um you know, in fact, here on uh, verse 34, the answer said to him, you're completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they threw him out. And what you see here is the religious arrogance of these guys. And look, folks, you know, quite honestly, some of us at times aren't much better than them. You know, we have a tendency to look down on people as well. we got to be careful with that. Um, I don't put us in the category of a Pharisee here, but how many times have we looked at, you know, people who are living in sin and sort of shake our heads and think of ourselves as someone a whole lot better than they are? Um, because we're not obviously that kind of person. And we sort of pat ourselves on the back and congratulate ourselves that we're not like the tax collector, you know, over there in the corner. Um, not this corner, but in the biblical corner there. All right. Uh, um, we congratulate ourselves on that. 
And Christ ran directly into these guys who justified themselves. And it ends there in verse 41, where they, they sort of sarcastically ask him, well, are we blind? He says, nah, you guys see. That's not a statement of truth. That's a statement of sarcasm. Why? Because they thought they saw. You ever try to, you ever try to teach something, something to someone who can't be taught? You ever try to do that? Someone who knows all the answers? Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a time in my life where I thought I had a lot of answers, but then I found out I was missing most of the questions. Um, it's hard to teach someone who thinks they know it all. And the Pharisees here, of course, thought that, hey, they had all the answers. I mean, they were the religious experts. In fact, uh, God was going to congratulate them and welcome them into heaven because of their own works, because of their godliness. It was incomprehensible to them that God would reject them. And here we see their blindness. Then Christ says in chapter 10, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Um, Christ here, this, this is one of the great chapters in the book of John where Christ talks about being the shepherd and the sheep. We remember, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Remember Isaiah, you know, 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. And uh, the Bible uses this sheep-shepherd metaphor quite a bit to talk about us, about believers, about God's people. And um, it's actually a very good metaphor. It's actually a very good metaphor. Anybody know any much about sheep? Yeah, you've got you've got a, a box of rocks, cauliflower, sheep, then above that is a tree. I mean I mean when it, they're dumb. They are a dumb, dumb, dumb animal. Um very, very dumb. Um you may say, Well, how dumb are they? Well, a sheep is a pretty defenseless creature on its own. Absolutely defenseless. Um they need constant care or they will die. But the only thing they do well is die. Um, a shepherd needs to constantly be on the guard for predators who will come in and ravage the sheep. Remember Paul says, after my departure, grievous wolves will come in, not sparing the flock, Acts 20. Um, they, they, are, they are defenseless. They have nothing. They have no defensive mechanism, whatever. They have no, no claws. They, have, they can't run. Um, they have no defensive mechanism. They're, they're totally defenseless. Um, not only are they totally defenseless, but they're dependent on the shepherd to find food and water. Um, a sheep will eat anything, edible, green. And if they run out of the green grass, they start eating the dirt until it kills them. And that's why the shepherd has to make sure they've got good food. They've got proper grasses to eat. Because they'll eat anything. Um, they're deathly afraid of running water. A sheep will actually, it'll actually die of starvation before it goes by a running brook to get a drink of water. 
it'll, it'll die of thirst because they're scared of water. That's remember the Lord says, um, "I'll lead you beside still waters." And of course, you know the problem is everybody back then who heard Christ talking here, they knew exactly what he was talking about. I mean, they they knew all about shepherding and sheep. They knew exactly the metaphor he was using. But a sheep will actually die. The the shepherd actually has to find a place in the in the river or the brook where there's no noise, where the water's running somewhat slowly for the sheep to get a drink or not, or not it, it won't go near the water. If they're lost, they can get, they're the only animal on the planet that can get lost within a few miles of home, other than my wife, who can get lost anywhere. Um, they can get lost within a few miles of home. They have no homing mechanism. They don't know how to get back. And that gives you understanding when Christ talks about the, the, the shepherd with 99 sheep and one of them was lost. And what did he do? He went out to find that one lost sheep because that, had, that sheep had no ability to find its way home. They, they, in fact, when they, when they get lost, they just walk around in circles so they fall over dead. They have no way to find their way back. They're defenseless. They have no direction. They need constant leading. Um, they have to be sheared. Their coats have this lanolin in it. They're like a dirt magnet. You know, you think of sheep being you know, those little white, fluffy, little, cute things. You know, they are a dirt magnet because it, it just attracts the dirt and it sticks in their, in their, in their, in their wool. And um, not only that, but if they eat certain kinds of food, they will get diarrhea really bad to the point that it will actually clog up their ability to eliminate solid waste and they will die. Sort of a gross way to die. They're defenseless. And Christ uses this metaphor here to talk about us. We're sheep. And we need a shepherd. And Christ says, um, the one who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way is a thief and a robber. The, the way the, the, the um, shepherds worked in those days is, in, in most towns, you had a central square where you would have a sheepfold. And it was a, it was a walled-in area that had one central entrance, the, the doorway, so to speak. And at night, the shepherds would bring their sheep in and would bring them inside this sheepfold and put them inside there. And the way in was through the door. And if you didn't go in through the door, but you climbed over the wall, you were not a shepherd, you were a robber, a thief and a robber. You're coming in some other way. And, what, and, it, and it's interesting, again and again and again, Christ uses this metaphor here of, and the Bible uses the metaphor of false shepherds who ravage the flock. Zechariah chapter 9 and 10 talks about false shepherds who, who destroy the flock and just ravage them. And God's going to bring judgment on the false shepherd. In Isaiah, he uses the same metaphor of shepherds, the false shepherds who are ravaging his flock. And Christ is saying, if you don't come in through the, if, if you don't come in through the door, but you climb in over a wall, you're a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. 
the metaphor usually there was um, at night you would hire the, usually the shepherds would hire someone to guard the sheep while they you know went about their business so they would bring their sheep into the town there would be someone there who would guard the entrance gate so the sheep could not get out and when the shepherd went to get his sheep of course he would be allowed in because he was a shepherd but that person would not allow just anyone in there so whoever got in other than through the door was a thief and a robber someone to steal and destroy now who do you think Christ is talking about here when he talks about thieves and robbers well in this context the Pharisees context remember it's the Pharisees it's the religious leaders who are destroying his flock and he says to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out the way it would work is to come morning shepherd would show up down at the sheepfold and um, the doorkeeper or the hired person who's there to guard the sheep would open the door and the shepherd would call his sheep out and they would know who he was the shepherd it's interesting even today the sheep know who their shepherd is they won't go to just anyone they only go to their shepherd so what would happen is all of the shepherds would bring their sheep and there would be this massive number of sheep you know a hundred sheep in the sheepfold and he would come and he'd start talking and call his sheep and they would know only his sheep would know who he is and they would come out and follow him and Christ is saying later on my sheep hear my voice The true sheep know who the shepherd is. They're not confused about who the shepherd is. Now that gives me um, some comfort, right? Because as a believer, I need to know who the real shepherd is, don't I? Because there's a lot of people out there claiming, I am a shepherd, I am a shepherd. And sometimes it's hard to sort out who the real are from the false. But God's Holy Spirit gives you an understanding of knowing who the shepherd is. And you'll, you you know his voice, and it's interesting. You know, I I listen to some of these guys on TV and all of that, and I say, you know, there's just something wrong about him. And I don't know what it is, and I can't give you some theological reason for it, but it just doesn't sound right. And and it's always been proven out that that later on something comes up, and my instinct was right. Now that's not my instinct. That's the Holy Spirit of God that 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 lets me know. You know, there's something. That, that well, that's not the shepherd. That that's that's not Christ. He's not representing Christ. That just does not sound right. And Christ is saying, "I call my sheep, and they come out." And when he, when he brings out his own sheep, his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And you would see that in those days, the shepherd would come down. There'd be a hundred sheep in the sheepfold. He would call them out, and nine or ten of the sheep that were his would come out and follow him as he walked them out to the places to eat, to the pastures. And in, that, in those days, he would, they, he would lead them. They would follow him. He wouldn't stand behind them with a sheepdog or whatever and drive them. He would walk ahead of them, and they would follow him um, to the pastures. And why do they do that? They know his voice. 
you understand who the shepherd is. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. They do not know the voice of strangers. Sheep know, it's interesting, uh, sheep know who the shepherd is, and they won't listen to anyone else but the one that is their shepherd. They'll ignore us. In fact, they'll run away from the others. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things. He spoke from, who's the they there? Pharisees. Yeah, they, they didn't catch it. They didn't catch it. Now, now, big picture, what's Christ using this, this metaphor here, this, this illustration? What's he trying to say about these teachers, these leaders? They're false teachers. They're false teachers. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if, if we fly up to 20,000 feet and look at this chapter and the previous, from chapter 6, 7, and 8, all right, what is, what is Christ, what's the big picture that Christ is trying to get across to the crowds, to the disciples, to the religious leaders? He's the Messiah, okay? So he's trying to get across, I am the Messiah, but most aren't listening to him, right? Who does listen? And who are they? They are the elect. If I had a gold star, I'd give you a gold star. They, have an, they are the elect. They are the ones that God is, the Father has granted to hear the Son. They know the voice of the shepherd. And Christ says that again. You don't hear me because you're not mine. You don't hear me because you're not. I'm from the Father. The people who hear me understand I am from the Father. They know the Father's voice. They know my voice. You don't know that because you're not of the Father. You're not of the elect. Now, now again, that's God's sight. From the human perspective, why were they not part of the elect? They refused to believe. They rejected him outright. And the, the, the metaphor he's using here is he's saying, you know, quite honestly, I'm not going to get too worried about this because my sheep will hear my voice. And they will follow me. And the ones who follow me know who I am. And if you don't follow me, it's because you're not one of my sheep. I'm here to protect the sheep, to take care of the sheep, to lead them. And they know my voice. They know who I am. So in all of this rejection, and you know, you got to understand here, Christ, Christ is being rejected by the vast number of people here. They're, they're, they're leaving him in droves. Because of the cost. And it'd be easier if you were if you were Christ's shoes to sort of get a little depressed about this. You know, where's everybody going? Well, the way to understand it is that they're not your sheep. The true sheep hear his voice. They know who the shepherd is. And they're going to follow him. And he's going to lead them and take care of them. 
and the religious leaders didn't get the metaphor that Christ was bringing out here. Because what were they? They were the thieves and the robbers. They were the ones that were climbing over the walls trying to steal the sheep. Can you look at this too as a way of him coming to Israel and calling out his sheep from among that fold? Um, yeah, I think there's there's a there's validity in that. Um, certainly he because later on he says I have sheep that are not of this fold, um, and that's not a reference to the Mormon Church. I'm sorry, um, that is a reference to Gentiles, um, in spite of their 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 usage of that. Um, so yeah, that that the the big who are the sheep? The sheep are the elect. The true sheep are the elect. They're the ones that follow the voice. They know who the shepherd is. There's a lot of sheep there that are not following the shepherd. Right? There's a whole lot of sheep still in the fold that don't follow the shepherd. But the ones that know him and know his voice will follow him. And how do you know the voice of God? He that hears my words and believes on him will know me and I will know him and the father will know him. And it goes back to that paradox that we've been talking about. The elect. Who, who hear the voice of God, the elect do. Why do you know who God is? Because God's given you the faith to believe. He's opened your eyes. You can understand. You can see. Did you have to use faith? Sure you did. But why did you believe? Because God did a work in your heart to give you the ability to believe. You couldn't have believed on your own. All by yourself. And we don't understand that. I, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. I sort of came up with, and it's probably a bad illustration. It's sort of like, you know, you know, if you're building a house, you can install the electrical wiring in the house and put the lights in and everything else. And you can sit there and flip the switch all day long and nothing will happen until somebody turns the power on from the road. Mm -hmm. Right? What has God done in eternity past? God has turned the light on from the road. Do you turn the light on? Sure, but why does the light work when you, from your side, supposedly exercise faith? It's because there's power to the house. Yeah, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate. It was like, and that's that's probably not purely, you know, don't take it too 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 far there that that you know. But 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 the idea there is my belief in time, my my ability to respond to God is because He's given me that ability to respond. And had He not put the power onto the house, so to speak, I could flip the switch all day long and I'd sit around in the dark until the power is there. Maybe better would be that you have solar panels and you can't flip the switch till the sun shines on you. Yeah, that's a one. Well, that's a green guy from Mobileland, you know, another <laughs> eco. Yeah. But 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 the the whole point there, the big point that Christ is making is my sheep know who I am. And they follow me. He's going to say that later on. And of course the uh they didn't understand it and so Jesus tries to explain it a little better, verse 7, Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheepfold. This is one of the great I am's. Okay? Um, I am the door. 
He's, he, so far, he said, I am the shepherd. I am the door. Two more in prior to this. No, that's coming up. Prior to this. Before. Verse, chapter 6, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Okay? So you got seven of these in John. Okay, this is, I am the good shepherd. All right? And then, I am the door. I am the door. Um... What does that mean? It means if you want to get into the sheepfold, God's sheepfold, who do you have to go through? The door. Now, now understand, don't, don't take these metaphors, you know, try to make them rigid theological constructs. That's not what they are. They're an illustration. All right. It's an illustration. How do you get into the sheepfold? As a sheep, how do you get into the sheepfold? You get into the sheepfold by the shepherd letting you in. He is the door. And in fact, in some cases, if you were out like in the fields or something like that, the, the shepherd might make a makeshift sort of fold for the sheep, and then he would lay in the entrance way. So if the sheep wanted to get out, they'd have to go over him. And that may be a metaphor here that Christ is using. I am the door. You want to come into the sheep fold, you got to come over me or through me. You don't come in any other way. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Which sheep is this? The elect sheep. The true sheep. The sheep that are his. Now, this verse has given me trouble. Because he says, all those who came before me. Now, God sent prophets to speak to Israel. And I know they are included in the thieves mm -hmm. and robbers that Jesus is describing here. So, I mean, how do, you know, the prophets in the history of Israel fit with this? Or, I mean, am I trying to understand this wrong here? I don't think he's talking about the prophets. But there were a lot of false Christs, weren't there? Well, yeah, a lot of folks that came and said, I'm somebody like the Pharisees. I, yeah, yeah, and one of the things, you know, if you go back and do just a little bit of historical study that's going on around this time, you had Christ coming out of the woodwork. You know, every every time you turn around, here's another guy coming and claiming to be the Messiah or whatever and leading people here and leading people there. And And, and I think that's what Christ is talking about there. He's not talking about the prophets right, in this I know. case. That's why I, I you know, to ask about it yeah. He's talking about those who claim to be the shepherds. I am the true shepherd. There's a lot of false shepherds, but I am the true one. I am the true shepherd. And all the shepherds that have come before me who claim to be the shepherds are not the real shepherds. They are thieves and robbers. And I, I think here he's talking about. You know, if you're if you want to take the metaphor, you're equating the sheep to the people of Israel. Right. Who would the shepherds be? The leaders. Right. All well, right. Well, that's why the issue of the prophets come in. But the prophets weren't the leaders. Okay, you're right. They weren't. They weren't. You know, and quite honestly, what happened to most of them? They got stoned and killed anyway. So the the, the point is, 
Christ says, I am the true shepherd. I am the right shepherd. All the rest of the ones who came before me, the, the spiritual leaders who came before me are thieves and robbers. And I'll tell you what, Annas and Caiaphas were a couple of the biggest crooks on the planet back then. So that was actually you know, aimed right at the religious leaders. It was. Because the religious system was, you understand, the religious system was totally corrupt to the core. It was corrupt. So, I mean, because it goes back to uh, the return from captivity, the establishment of this whole system that's intact at this time. Okay. There's a totally corrupt system. Um, let's look at, and, and the only reason I say this because I heard, you know, I've, I heard a message on this that that helped me finally understand something that's, you know, uh, let's look at um, Luke 21. No, 20, 20, verse 45, Luke 20, 45. This is this is right around sort of this time same time frame. The theme is the same. All right. Yeah, twenty verse forty-five. Then, in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples. So Christ is talking there. This is after the Fer the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians come and try to trap him into making a statement so that they could they could have something to accuse him with and kill him. And of course, he 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 masterfully outsmarts them all. And ends up saying, and ends up giving them a question that they could not answer. David's son, who is he? And finally, uh, in verse forty-five, he says, in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, "Beware of the scribes. Who are they? They're the lawyers. They're the religious leaders. They're the so-called shepherds of Israel." He says, "Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes." Love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogue, and the best places at the feast. Watch out for the scribes who want to go around in their pomposity. All right. And they have long robes. What's that? Their robes are extra long with extra wide tassels to show how extra godly they were. And then he says here, they love greetings in the marketplace. What does it mean? When they go down to the marketplace, everybody bows and says, Good morning, rabbi, or doctor, or whatever. Doctor, muckety-muck, whatever it is. And they like the best seats in the synagogues. What do they, mean? they want to sit right in the front where everybody can see them in all their resplendent, self-righteous glory. They like the best places at the feast. What do you mean? Well, the one up there by the host with the big shots. They want to sit at the table with the president. To devour widows' houses. What does that do? Uh, they cheat the widows, the, the most innocent people, the most helpless. They cheat them in the name of religion. And by the way, do you know that the number one um, at, uh, demographic group that feeds the word faith movement yo-yos on TV are elderly women? Where do you think Copeland gets all his money in Hagen? It's the elderly women. If it wasn't for them, they go bankrupt. I had to throw that in there. And for a pretense, they make long prayers. They, they pray an awful long time, but they don't say anything. They make long prayers. They're going to receive greater judgment. 
And then it says, verse 21, he looked up and saw rich, the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. This is the offering. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all. For all of these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. And you think of that. You know, and you say, you know, you know I've, I've heard tons of sermons. And every sermon on that passage had to do with the magnanimous giving of this woman. Right? She gave everything, right? And you have preachers that wax eloquently about how we need to give all to God and how we need to give sacrificially and yada, yada, yada. You know, that passage has nothing to do with giving. What's the context? What's the context? What's he saying about the religious system run by the... Corruption is corrupt to the core. Why was this woman giving her two mites? Leptar, two pennies. Why was she giving it? It's not said that. That's not said. That wouldn't fit the context. Yeah. I think that's you know it. What? That's, that's did, never been preached like that. <laughs> you got it. That's never been preached like that. You heard that. I've never heard nobody preach it like that. Well, I, I, you look at the context. The context doesn't make any sense if he's trying to praise this woman for giving all of her money. That's a dumb thing to do, actually. Because there's no chapter division. There's no chapter division. She didn't have any. She was going to home. She was going to starve to death. She had nothing left. But in essence, she was putting her faith in God, even though it was misdirected. Do you know that? Well, I don't know. I think Christ looked up and he, he saw what was going on. And, and you got to understand how the offerings worked in those days, you know. It was it was a big deal. You know, the, the Pharisees had people blowing trumpets as they walked in to give their offering, so you would be pay attention to how much they were giving. Seed faith, and Christ looked at a system, religious system had had become so corrupt that it 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 took it it fleeced the widows. It was really taken away from the very group they should have been helping. Yes. Now look, just understand, I'm forgiving to the Lord. But God does not want you to give him money if you're starving to death. That's not what giving is all about. And people say, well, you know, i got to give my 10% because God won't bless me. Bag that right now. You give to God because you want to give him because you love him. And, and, but God, you know, if, if you have to choose between paying your doctor bill and giving your 10% of the church, you better pay your doctor bill. Because what kind of testimony is it to not pay your debts? God doesn't need your money that bad. Now, hopefully you'll get in a spot where you can 
כן. אז
You know, th th that was their mentality that God owed them. And Christ looked at this system and said, you guys have missed the whole point of it to the point that here's a widow who's on her way to starvation. And instead of providing food for herself, she gives out of some legalistic idea that somehow God's going to bless her if she puts it all in the coffer. What about David? Remember when he was hungry? What did his men do? Now, they're not allowed to do that, right? Now, was God upset about that? No. Starve to death, get the showbread. Hmm, let's think about it. You know, and God gives, the point is God made the, the law was made for us, not us for the law. And we've done is we've turned it topsy-turvy upside down. And Christ is looking here at a false religious system that had been some to totally corrupted and so totally abusive that the, his only option was to wipe it out. It couldn't be salvaged. And then he goes on in Luke and he talks about the destruction of the temple. Why? Because the system, these religious leaders felt God owed them. And they taught the people that God owed them. And they looked down with disdain on anyone who was not of their group. And they're the false shepherds who, instead of caring for the flock, destroy the flock. Yeah. And God is going to have some harsh things to do with them. This is God's flock. It's not yours. I mean, later on, Peter talks about as being under shepherds. So when the sheep shepherd appears, you won't be ashamed. And Christ is berating the false religious leaders. Matthew 23 is a great chapter. He calls them whitewashed tombs. They look pretty on the outside, but inside, what do you got? Yeah, rotting flesh. Uh, it, it looks like a cup that looks really cool and beautiful and, and nice on the outside, but inside is full of crud, rottenness, filth. They look good on the outside, but inside they're, they're rotten to the core. And he doesn't have a whole lot of tolerance for that. And Christ is saying, I'm the good shepherd. And my sheep, the sheep who are of God, the sheep who, 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 are, who are the elect, who have believed in me, they know my voice. And how they get in the sheepfold, they came through the door. Not by another way, they came through the door. And Christ makes himself as the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You don't come to the sheepfold of God. And here's the metaphor is, is, is almost being extended that this is the true sheepfold. You don't come into the true sheepfold unless you go through the door. You got to go through Christ. Now, how did the Pharisees get in, supposedly? Well, they didn't need a Savior. Yeah. Back in Luke, what do you have? You have uh, Christ is giving a story. He says, you know, two guys went down to the temple to pray, a tax collector and a Pharisee. Now, that that is in, in that social um, culture of the day, Christ picked the most respected, externally godly one, the Pharisee, and contrasted it with the scum of the earth, the, the crud under the bottom of the barrel, the tax collector. This was like night and day. 
the best with the worst. And he picked two of the, and they went down to the temple to pray, and it's probably about the third hour when they would do a sacrifice. And he said the Pharisee prayed to himself. Notice what it said there. He prayed to himself. Why is that? Well, God wasn't listening, was he? And what did he say? I thank God that I'm not like other people. Extortioner, thief, murderer, or even like uh, that tax collector standing way over there. I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all of thy own. What's he telling? He's giving God a resume. Telling God why, why God owes him. Did he need any forgiveness? Did he ask for mercy, for compassion, for forgiveness, for grace? Didn't need it. I'm okay. In fact, God, you owe me on this one. Because look at what I've done. The story goes of one rabbi who was dying. And he has a count bring in the book. And he had a complete record of everything he had given to the poor in his entire life. And just to make sure that God would let him into heaven as he was dying, he gave away the last of his stuff to the poor and had it entered in the ledger book. So when he died, he could take his ledger book and say, you owe me, God. Let me in. Then he got the poor old tax collector. He's over in the corner. He's not even allowed into the temple, by the way. The tax collectors were not even allowed to go enter the temple. He had to stay outside on the, on the court of the Gentiles. He couldn't even enter into the temple. No self-respecting Pharisee would let him come within a hundred yards of him. And what did he say? He wouldn't even lift up his eyes. He said, God, be merciful to me. A sinner in Christ said, this man went down to his house justified, not the other. And that was a shock to those people. They could not get that. Wait a minute. What do you mean? The Pharisee was the one that was justified. He's the godly one. He's the law keeper. He Christ said, no, he's not justified. He had, a, he had a religious system that had totally twisted and perverted and, and distorted everything about the law that God had written and meant. To the point that they would cheat people and, 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 and say that it was God's doing. I remember the other one about Corban. It is Corban. The Bible says to honor your father and mother. What does it say? Honor your father and mother. In other words, as a in those days, there weren't rest homes. There wasn't Social Security and things like that. You were to honor your parents. So the Pharisee said, well, instead of honoring my parents and taking care of them, I'm going to devote my money to God because, you know, that would be the greatest thing because God would owe me. I mean, if I give my money to God, he's going to really owe me big time. So instead of caring for my parents, I'm going to give my money to God and devote it to God so that all my wealth that I have, all the assets are only going to be God's so I can't use any of it to help my parents. And God said, you've invalidated the law of God by creating one of your own little traditions. God doesn't need your money. What are you to do? Take care of your parents. Do that first. And yet, they've corrupted it, distorted it. Christ is saying, I am the door of the sheepfold. You want to come in, you got to come in through me. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. Christ said, the other shepherds that have come in, the thieves, 
What do they come in for? To kill and to destroy. What are sheep to the thief? They are a means to an end. You really think Benny Hinn cares about your spiritual condition? Come on. I was surfing last night, and there he was, and I couldn't believe Tim LaHaye was on that show. With him. Well, Tim LaHaye's gone off the deep end, but anyways. <laughs> you, really think, you really think Oral Roberts Jr. really cares about you? About your spiritual condition? Forty nine ninety five. you will. These guys are thieves and robbers. They are extortioners. And the flock of God is nothing more than something to be consumed by them. They've gone the way, and Peter says, I like the way Peter says, they've gone the way of the Balaam, the son of Beor, who for a price sold out Israel. How would you like to have your donkey tell you off? That, that's sort of bad, you know. <laughs> Folks, they're out there. And the Bible is full of warnings about the false spiritual leaders who come to destroy and to kill and to ravage the flock of God. And Christ is saying, I am the good shepherd. I'm not like these false shepherds. What if I come? I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that's not talking about wealth. That's talking about spiritual blessing. It has nothing to do with dollar signs. Forget that. That's not what he's talking about. And don't let anybody tell you, well, that means you're supposed to be a, a wealthy believer. No, 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 no. That's not what it means. By the way, those who tell you you need to be wealthy as a believer, what are they, what are they, what are they um, using? They're using your fleshly greed, aren't they? Now, is that right? Greed's a bad thing, isn't it? It's one of the seven deadly sins, isn't it? Greed. So any message based on a sinful, a sinful uh, attribute of mankind is not a good message to preach, is it? Everybody can't be rich. It's interesting. I had one guy ask me, really, really smart guy. Remember Seth? Yeah, Seth. He was in. Yeah, he asked me one time. He said, he said, we were talking about something. Gambling came up. I said, you know, I've never bought a lottery ticket in my life. When somebody gave me one, I gave it away. I didn't want it. I never bought a lottery ticket in my life. Never, never gambled. Vegas, to me, is a waste of real estate on the planet. You know, you could put a crater in there and you'd probably get ahead. Um, yeah, nuclear test site something. Um, I have, I've had no, I have no tolerance for, for gambling. And he asked me, so, well, the Bible doesn't talk about that. Where does it say in the Bible you're not allowed to gamble? Where does it say that? All right. And my response to him was, you're telling me that an industry, an industry whose existence depends on the sin of greed is okay. He said, oh, I see your point. And that was the end of the discussion. Stop and think about it. Erase greed, gambling goes away, doesn't it? We're getting, on, we're getting off the beaten path. But the whole point is, anything that's based on our sinful nature, greed, lust for power, more things, is wrong. Christ, he said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's not 
abundance of possessions, but it's abundance of joy, of peace. I am, verse 11, the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Christ here, of course, is talking about his death, his coming death on the cross. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd protects his sheep with his very life. When the animals would come, and you know those days they had lions and tigers. Remember David had to kill a lion? You know, came to try and steal the sheep. I think he did a bear too. He did a bear and a lion. Um, now, you know, if you're a hireling, you know, and those weren't your sheep, you'd run. I'm not going to argue with a lion. No, you know, I'll help the lion pick out one of them at least, you know, just, you know, I'm not going to fight with a lion, but David fought with the lion. He did. But he, Christ saying, I'm, I'm going to give my life for the sheep. A hireling, he was not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Now, this is not the main point of this passage, but it is brought out later on. What is the responsibility of a pastor in a church? Yeah, in fact, the word pastor, poiamen, means shepherd. He's a shepherd. So part of the pastor's duty, or should be part of his duty, is to protect the flock. So when you have false teachers come trotting into the church, what should the pastor do? Stop them. Now, see, that's not politically correct now. You know, you're supposed to sit down and dialogue, you know. And when somebody stands up and says, this guy's wrong, say, well, how dare you question that? How do you know what makes you, you know, on on they go. You know, I've had people get after me saying, well, how dare you, you know, say Benny Hinn's a bad guy. He is. I mean, what, what do you want me to tell you? What do you want me to tell you? The guy doesn't believe that Jesus is God. What else? What do you need? Let's talk about it. No, I don't need to talk about it. He's got nine members in the Trinity. He's so confused on his theology. And it changes every day. He's got a theology of the day, you know. And it's whatever strikes him whenever he's talking. That's what he believes. Yeah. There's no absolutes. He's a chameleon. He'll say anything to anyone just as long as the dollars keep rolling in. That's all that matters. Look. Christ saying the, high, the hireling it was not the shepherd. He'll run and hide. But I'm the good shepherd. I will give my life for the sheep. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am, I am known by my own. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. Now that's comforting, right? Christ knows those who are his. Not only that, but those who are his know what? They know him. They know the voice of the shepherd. They hear the voice of the shepherd. And there's a lot of guys out there saying, come on, I'm the shepherd, follow me. And you've got a lot of so-called believers following these shepherds. And they're not the true shepherd. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ is going to bring his father into this thing. 
later on he says, I and my father are one. He's saying, um, just like the father knows me, I know my sheep. Now, how does the father know Christ? Everything, perfectly, right? Eternity past, face to face. Prostantheon, they were face to face from eternity past. Father knows the son, the son knows the father, and he knows his sheep. He knows who are his. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. That is not the Eastern Hemisphere versus the Western Hemisphere in the Mormon Church. They use this passage. This is the passage. In fact, it's caught on one of their um, um, TV ads. They use this. They say, well, you know, that sheepfold was the church there, and the other sheepfold was all of the so-called believers in the Western Hemisphere that Christ showed up to after his resurrection. He showed up to the people in the Western Hemisphere and brought them the gospel. And the Book of Mormon was written to those in the Western Hemisphere. The Bible was written to those in the Eastern Hemisphere. And it goes downhill from there. All right. That's not what this is saying. Not at all. Christ is talking about what, what is this fold? What fold is he talking about? Well, to this point, who did the elect consist of? Jews. Right? It's a no-brainer. Jews. In fact, the, even the Old Testament has metaphors of God calling Israel like sheep. You know, all we like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah, who was that? Well, that was Israel. Yeah. He said, there, there are other sheep which are not of this fold. Then I, I must also bring, they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is talking about the Gentiles. That's what he's talking about. There's this fold, but there's, there's others that are coming that are going to be in this flock. There's one flock and one shepherd. There's not two <clears throat> flocks. There's one flock, there's one shepherd. Therefore, my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. Here's the great thing about Christ. Christ said, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep, but you know what? I'm not going to stay dead. In fact, I'm going to lay it down, and I'm going to take it up again. Now, look, all of us in here can decide to die, but we can't decide to rise again, can we? No, here's the safety. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command or this ability, this right I've received from my Father. What is Christ saying here? Christ is going to die. In fact, he's going to die very, you know, within an, you know the next few months. Um, this is probably around the December time frame of the year. By April, he's he's dead. He's got four months to live thereabouts. He's basically telling me, you know, I have the power to lay down my life and take it up again. This was granted me to the Father. In fact, he says, no one takes my life from me. You ever stop and think about it, that Christ was sovereign in his death? Yeah. The Romans killed him. No, he didn't. He allowed the Romans to they kill him. The he laid it down. He allowed it. Could he have come off the cross? Sure, he could have come off the cross. And he didn't need a legion of angels. One of them would have done the job, right? 
186,000 Assyrians met one angel and lost. He didn't need a legion of angels. That's 12,000 angels. He didn't need 12,000 angels. He just needed one. But he has all power, so he could have just spoke the word. He could have spoke the word. Jumped off the cross. Slew all of his enemies right there. Be done with it. But that wasn't the plan, was it? What did he have to do? He had to lay down his life for the sheep. I still wonder why when they, when they went to arrest him, if they fell back. Showing his sovereign power over them. Right. Knocked him down the ground. They still, after that, they still got yep. He healed the man with, put the ear right back on. Put Malchus' ear back on. Well, it just shows it. Well, you know what God was doing in the whole in the whole crucifixion. God was setting it up. You ever have somebody give you enough rope that you hung yourself? Just let the rope out. Do your parents ever do that? Oh, yeah. Just let the rope out, and then you really get in a jam. So when you get it, you know you've got it coming because you've deserved it. You've worked to get the whipping or whatever it is you got. And that's what Christ was doing, or God was doing at the cross. He's letting the rope out so that when Christ died, everybody on the planet, when they stood before him, there would be no excuses. The Bible says, too much is given, much is expected. So when you look at all the confrontation that Christ had with the, with the Pharisees, he did so much in front of their eyes, in front of their view, out in the open, that was undeniably of God. Yeah. There's there's no way you could get around it. And they they were right there and and knowing them, they, they did everything to investigate everything. In their mindset they were trying to disprove it, but in the final analysis, they actually proved by not being able to disprove. Right. And Christ did all of that in front of them. And and I and I believe that all you're letting the rope out so that when Christ ultimately laid on that cross and gave up his life for our sins, all of those people that rejected him, the full weight of that rejection was on their shoulders. Yeah, and for all of eternity, there's not gonna be a single there's not gonna be a single holy angel in heaven that's gonna look at God and say, You didn't give him a chance. That's right. They got more than a chance. In fact, all the angels would say, you should have done them in a lot earlier than you did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were ready to come down there. But but what it was is, is for all, you know, God, you understand, God worked drama of redemption out to glorify himself. How was God more glorified? How was Christ glorified on the cross? You saw the absolute holy son of God without blemish die for an unholy mankind That's right. who broke every single law of jurisprudence. To put him on the cross. Who was at their violent. Mankind was at its lowest. When they hung Christ on the cross. And that's when God was at his finest. And that's going to be seen throughout all of eternity. That contrast. Did God make the men do that? No he didn't. Did God force Caiaphas to deny him? Nope. Caiaphas did that on his own. Right? He made that choice. Christ, God, in that case, God did not interfere with the natural course of his wickedness. They were so far gone when God was there, it just expedited their yeah. depravity. Early on, they 
really reached a point where they didn't care mm -hmm. whether it was God or not. They hated this man and they wanted him to work. Yep. Didn't matter. And why did Christ die on the cross? He died as the substitute. Yeah. He took my place. That 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 is that to me that is the word that really describes redemption. It's justification is a great word, sanctification, all that. But the 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 thing that really really describes what happened on the cross is substitution. He took my place. I rejected God. We are born rejecting God. We are born in rebellion against God. And how can God restore a relationship between us and him? Through Christ. Sacrifice of Christ. Christ had to die in my place. He had to face the punishment meant for me. And I have to, as a person, acknowledge he did it for me. I, mean, I believe in election. That, that, that's God's side there. But in time, I have to look at the cross and say, he took my place, yeah. and I'm going to put my faith in what he did for me, and that alone, not him and my good works and my church attendance and my tithing and all this other stuff, but him alone. And I'm going to have to look God in the eye and say, it's my fault. It's my fault. I'm guilty. Will you please forgive me? And Christ is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. Well, he was, and he blamed the woman. The woman blamed the serpent, and the serpent yeah. didn't have anybody to blame. He didn't have any leg to stand on. <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah. Get a little drum roll in the background. Um, but it's been that way ever since, right? I mean, we 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 are very good as human beings. We're very good at cutting ourselves slack. Oh boy, we we know how to do it. We don't see ourselves as bad as we really are. We really don't. We look at ourselves and we think ourselves is pretty good, and you know. You know, all of us should say, if somebody comes up and says, on a scale of 1 to 100, how godly are you? Every one of us should say zero. Every one of us. But how often do we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm about a 10 maybe. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm getting there, you know. Yeah, look, folks, we're not, we're not even, we don't even rate on the scale. And Christ is saying, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to do it voluntarily. No one's going to take it from me. No one's going to take advantage of me. And, you know, there's a lot of people say, you know, Christ is sort of this nice guy. And he's got sort of caught up in the events. And, you know, this tragic thing happened where he was crucified. And that wasn't part of God's plan. And, you know, look, don't even listen to that kind of baloney. God knew it. Christ knew exactly. Christ knew why he came into the world to die. For us, he knew that. He wasn't he wasn't shocked by that. He says, I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to take it up again. And what happened? Verse 19, there was a division again among the Jews because of the saying. And many of them said he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? He's nuts. 
Now, let me tell you something. Anytime you see someone who says that what God says is nuts, they're nuts. And all it does is tell you one thing. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are moronic to him. Foolish. Dumb. They're, they're, it doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't make any sense because... It's the wisdom of man. God, in fact, Isaiah says, God says, you know, the foolish thing. Now, has God ever done anything foolish? No. no. All right. But God is saying, if I were to do something foolish, it would be so far above anything any wise man could come up with is to be just in a, a chasm. A chasm. <coughs> And others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This tells you that this was shortly after this guy was healed. Because they still remember, wait a minute. Can, can somebody who's talking like this open the eyes? If this guy was a nut job, would he be opening the eyes of some guy who's been blind for over 30 years? Now, now see, they had hope. Look, folks, understand, people believe what they want to believe. You think everybody's really smart and, and wise and, and makes a, a right choice? Come on. People believe what they want to believe. These people wanted to believe he was a demon. It didn't matter what he did. He could have raised the dead. And by the way, he's going to raise the dead pretty soon. And, what was the, and when he did raise the dead, what, was their, what were they going to do? What did they decide to do? You know, we really got to kill this guy. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You got somebody who can raise people from the dead, and your conclusion was, we're going to have to kill him to shut him up. Yeah. They're more interested in their own political health and well-being and wealth than they were against doing the right thing. I think it's interesting, too, he raises the dead after he makes a statement that he has the power to lay his life down and pick it back up. Yeah. Well, that's also another step in his expression to them that he does have that power. All right. And Christ is the only one who ever had that power. So you have a division. Some say he's the guy's nuts. He's crazy. And others who are saying, wait a minute, if he's crazy, he couldn't be opening the eyes of the blind. He couldn't be opening the eyes of the blind. Look, if anybody looks at Christ seriously, you have to admit he's the Son of God. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, um, probably around December of the year. This is when the Feast of Dedication was. And, uh, yeah, Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in the doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. It's like, you know, Christ is just like shaking his head. Why do you keep us in doubt? And it's like, now, now when John asked that, what did Christ tell him? Yeah, when John said to the disciples, are you the key that should come? We look for another. What did Christ say? Well, go back to him while the dead are raised, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Tell me what you saw. Gospels are being preached. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, just what Isaiah 61 says. And these guys, and, and again, you got to understand, 
This is unbelief. This is unbelief. Give me a sign. Look at Pharaoh. What was Pharaoh's problem? He, he, was, an, he, he was unbelief, right? Give me a sign. Okay, we'll give you one. And uh, I, I need a sign. Well, we'll tie another one. You know, by the time you're done, the firstborn's dead, you know, and your entire country is, the entire socioeconomic political structure of the country is devastated. Why? Well, you, I, I just want to make sure I need a sign. Look, folks, and see, this is the problem with this mentality. Well, if we could just do a miracle or something like that, people believe. No, they won't. That's David Copperfield mentality. They're not going to believe. One of the problems with a lot of the word faith and the, and the charismatic crowd is if we can just do miracles and speak in tongues and, and do some healings, people will believe. No, they won't. No, they won't. Right. Creation. It's talking about the creation. The creation was brought under a curse. The, the, the world that God created was brought under a curse. God did not create the world to decay. He created it as a perfect place, but because of sin, creation was brought under a curse. And when will that curse be lifted? When the manifestation of the sons of God is revealed. When the millennium comes, the curse is removed. We go back to more of an Edenic state. And it's personifying the creation there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus answered and said, I told you, and you don't believe. He said, I told you that. What do you tell them? Well, I am the door. I am the light. I am the bread of life. I am that I am. And what do they want? Well, just tell us. Are you really the Christ? See, I told you. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But listen, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Like it or not, you're going to have to deal with election. Why don't you believe? Why don't you believe me? Well, from the human perspective, you don't believe me because you refuse. But from the divine perspective, why don't you believe me? Well, you're not of my sheep. Of course you can't believe. Of course you don't believe. You're not my sheep. As I said to you before, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The sh my sheep will hear me. Therefore, if you don't follow me and you don't hear me, it's because you're not of my sheep. How else are you going to interpret that? You're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and know me. Follow me. Thank you for listening to today's study in the Gospel of John. Part two of this class can be heard in the next podcast of this series. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.